Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune, covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, chronicling the coming of Christ the King. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this special edition of the End Time Tribune. I am very grateful to be able to be with you all. Uh, Brian and I have been working on tonight's topic for years now, literally. There was one particular reason why we didn't cover it in times past, but I think that Obstacle is water under the bridge, shall we say. Let us consider this, ladies and gentlemen. The beast from the abyss. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 7 in the KJV. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go unto perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. This is the topic of tonight's conversation. Two very simple verses, but boy, did they stretch across the bands of time. Even stretching those bands to their absolute limits. Ladies and gentlemen, get your trays into the upright positions and fasten your seatbelts. The Brian and I have oiled the saddles. We've brushed the steeds down. We are ready to ride. Why, well, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Right. 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the broadcast. It is an absolute pleasure to finally be doing this show. Let's get uh, Brian's thoughts on uh, this long, long uh, path we've been down before we finally did this uh, episode. Brian, how long has this episode been in the works? Uh, do you have any idea off the top of your head? How long? Yeah. Uh, this overall topic, years, uh, immediate from just this week, <laughs> it all depends on how you want to look at it. Well, let me ask you this, Brian. There's one aspect I know that I told you about uh, the scapegoat in relation to a type of sorcery. Uh, now, that particular type of sorcery you and I have did broadcast on before. But how long far back do you think that we started uh, talking about that particular aspect? I would think that was at least back to 2012. I would think when I first first started talking to you about that particular, to uh, that particular topic. Or was it later than that? Maybe, maybe 2013. Do you remember? Not really. But needless to say, it has been a while. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is basically what happened. I presented a riddle of the day, as we do over on the uh, social networking site, uh, the Facebook group that we have. In the group, I will often post riddles. Uh, these riddles have absolutely no connections uh, to any sort of doctrine or dogma. So it matters not if you're a Catholic or a Protestant or a charismatic or an evangelical. None of those things matter. These riddles pertain only to the Bible, God's Holy Word. So we don't get into doctrine there. We don't, don't do any of that stuff. The riddles that I pose is for the illicit purpose of getting the group into the Bible, God's Holy Word. That's the whole purpose. And we have some pretty good sisters, especially in that group, that if Brian and I poses a question to them or a subject to them, they're pretty quick. I mean, sometimes they go the long way around the subject, but they really are uh, quite proficient in digging in both the Hebrew and the Greek. And I posted one, and I saw that Brian hadn't made any comments on it because, you know, he has his things that he's doing over uh, there at the Over Attention Show. He needs to keep watch, well, on the important stuff, really. Well, I can't say that, that, that what I do is not important, but uh, certainly uh, the Word of God is important. But Brian is watching and praying. Um, and that's you know one of the main reasons why we have to do the end time tribune uh, once a week just for news, and we normally don't have time to cover everything. There's just no way. So I don't want to you know detract uh, from what Brian was busy with, but I, I don't even know if he even seen the riddle. But I posted the riddle in English for a reason. The reason for that was because in the Greek, its root word 
is actually spelt with a different letter. So I knew that if they copied and pasted into their search engines, they wouldn't be able to find it. So I posted all three forms of the infamous scapegoat, as found in the Septuagint, the Bible that Jesus quoted from, which is only half of the Bible source code. Remember, the other half is the Masoretic, the, uh, the Delich. Uh, so we're not here to debate with that either, but we just post it to Greek in all three forms that it's found there in Leviticus chapter 16. I put the uh, actual words and the transliteration. And you could see it plain as day. And I was hoping somebody would copy and paste that. Well, Brian was the only one that found it, and he sent it to me in a private message. And I was very surprised that our most astute sisters did not do that. They stuck purely with the Greek, not realizing that, well, Matthew had pulled a fast one on him again, and I'd posted it. In English, transliteration for a reason, because you could plainly see what it was talking about. So, ladies and gentlemen, you might want to go over to the social networking site and look us up, our group. We also have a page, but uh, the group, and, I'm, and I know in times past, people have followed me, and then they start getting harassing messages from... Well, Brian and I's enemies, so you don't have to follow us, but just take my advice and mark it on favorites uh, for your, your bookmarks, and just go there and, and watch. You certainly don't have to interact, but if you do have something to add, we greatly encourage you to do so, because there's important stuff over there, and I didn't post those things for any random reason. It's important what I do over there. So uh, it's amazing to me that even some of my close associates uh, that <clears throat> have different views uh, than me are quick to add me to their groups and not realizing that, well, that's not altogether appropriate, but for the sense of camaraderie it certainly is, for the sense of edification it is, and sometimes I do comment there on on just what the Bible, God's Holy Word says, I don't, I don't try to, to pick fight with, with, uh, with them or, or anything like that. But Brian, let's start right there. Uh, why don't you talk about uh, the word there in question and what you immediately saw? Because you sent me a message that, well, that's what this is. It's a very, very famous term. Uh, that most people know immediately what that means, but why don't you describe that uh, you're taking a look at it, and you stumbled across some fantastic things, having realized that, well, surely it would be in some 1800 style of Bible dictionaries. You realize that's how they would put it, and that's how you must have searched for it. So why don't you tell us what you found out about the scapegoat in this particular instance that got this whole thing started? Well, I mean, to point out, you know, the riddle stated what was the etymology. And, 
you know, just looking immediately at the word, there's the last portion of it that stands out like a sore thumb, which is P-O-M-P, pump. Now, for those of you that recognize the terminology of a psychopomp, I guess to keep it simple, uh, psychopomp, you could call kind of the Grim Reaper type uh, idea. It does go deeper into, well, for instance, swarms of sparrows many times when you start seeing them doing crazy things or referred to in circles as a psychopomp. And there's many other areas included with that. So I had started a, you know, just ran it through Google real quick to see if I could pull anything up with uh, APO and then POMP. With that, and then boom, it didn't take very long before the hit I was looking for showed up. And this is called, the word is Apo Pompeii, and it's a certain day on which the Greeks offered sacrifices to the gods called, let me see here, Pompeii. It's a little hard to read this uh, version from this book that they scanned. Or conductors, by the way, referring probably to Mercury, because in the Greek mythology, he many times was referred to as a psychopomp, whose employment it was to conduct the souls of the deceased persons to the shades below. And that's, you know, that's what I stumbled across right there, you know, and as an etymology is where basically a word comes from. To me, this kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, especially when you have these, uh, God's called Pompeii. It certainly does. And, you know, I was surprised you found it there because that's in volume 11 of the set uh, from McClintlock and Strong. And yes, James Strong. And this, this encyclopedia uh, of the Bible, uh, well, more to the point, Encyclopedia of Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature. Uh, it's published in 1891, ladies and gentlemen. So you can't you can't reconcile this in your mind with the so-called modern scholars. You can't because this was very well known, very well known um, to the biblical scholars in the 1800s. And it's just amazing to me how this goes one step, then one step, then one step, then one step, and it just absolutely amazes me. Now, here, as of late, I mean, when I was 13 years old, um, there was a, well, it wasn't done in English in the beginning because it was German. But uh, The Scapegoat Rituals in Ancient Greece was published uh, back when I was a child. So these things are well known in academia. And it just blows you away when you try to get uh, sources here uh, in modern scholarship. And they avoid this like the plague, like the plague. But, ladies and gentlemen, you need to consider this because 
you need to realize that what they called these rituals was what you know as pharmakia. It was pharmakos. Same exact thing. When you start putting two and two and two together, when you look at the etymology itself, just like Brian did, well, the first part, the apple, that means off uh, in place, time, or relation to cast off. And the second part of that is a pimple. It means to dispatch, especially on a temporary errand, to transit, bestow, also to wield. Ladies and gentlemen, it means to be taken up in a procession. So, when we look at this word in the Hebrew, it certainly has a wealth calculable data. A wealth of it. But I hope all of you realize now that when you switch over to the Greek... That's why God did this. That's why he did this. This is why we have Septuagint manuscripts, ladies and gentlemen, that are a thousand years older than the earliest Masoretic text because the Masoretic text was not given to us until the Temple Mount had been taken over by people other than the Israelites. That's when we were permitted to give it. And there's a reason for that too, mathematically. But this ties part and parcel with what Brian and I have discussed before. The simple fact that there's verses in Daniel referring to a specific sacrifice that's supposed to be done in twilight time. It's supposed to be done during that Magical time between uh, first light and last light. It's twice a day. And remember, astronomically speaking, that is the time when the sun is either eight degrees below the horizon or eight degrees above the horizon. The Septuagint plainly tells you there, it comes right out and tells you what is going to be affected. It's parallax. So this explodes into completely different things. And as Brian and I got to talking about this subject of the psychopomp and Mercury, as soon as he brought that up and pointed that out, I had to tell him about, well, some things that Brian and I really try to stay away from. But on the esoteric side of things, they know this. And they call this, well, scapegoat. They call it Vulcan. But you have to be very shrewd when looking for it because they will always give you the false Vulcan and tell you that it was a hypothetical planet that once tween the Sun and Mercury. But that's just a diversion from what they really know to be true, this esoteric side of things. So 
ladies and gentlemen, this opens up a whole new can of worms, doesn't it? Because we may very well be talking about the particular entities that were created by the scapegoat himself in Genesis, the sixth chapter. Encoded here, and it's all over the Kabbalah, ladies and gentlemen, that the psychopomps are really the children of a zazzle. This is why when you talk about this particular topic, everybody likes to uh, use that name and uh, proclaim that name. And when you're talking about the Hebrew side of things, that is appropriate. No doubt about it. The Hebrew, that's exactly what it says. Azazel. However, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you realize that it's prefixed with a lamed. So, in effect, it is lezazel. That's what it is. It takes most people by surprise. Well, why would God do that? Why would it be prefixed that way so that it is predicated literally by two lamas? There's a lamad on the beginning and a lamad on the end. Why would God do that? Well, that's when I have to jump in and tell them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a form. Every single time his name occurs, it's actually Lazazel. All three times. Leviticus 16, 8, 10, and 26. Every single time it's prefixed with the Lamed. The C's around it for you. And when you talk to Hebrew scholars, well, the significance of two Lameds being inside a single word and where else is there consternation, well, ladies and gentlemen? You're all going to know it as soon as I say it. You'll all know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's read from the KJV in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 14. Wild beast of the desert shall meet with the wild beast of the island... And the satyr shall cry to his fellow, the screech owl shall also nest there and find herself a place of rest. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's not screech owl. It's not. Not at all. And the <clears throat> New American Standard Bible says, well, that's night monster. No, that's Lilith is what that is. And once again... Well, how is that spelled? Lamed, Yod, Lamed, Yod, Tov. So just with the Hebrew side of things, ladies and gentlemen, there's all sorts of things we could talk about. It amazes me, though, that in relationship to the Yom Kippur, Sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, there is a major misleading out there in modern academic biblical scholars. Because they promote the idea and have been promoting it for a while that Jesus was the scapegoat 
ladies and gentlemen, that is akin to blasphemy in itself. It amazes me how they obviously haven't read the matching chapter to Leviticus chapter 16. Because it is quoted multiple times in Hebrews chapter 9. Blows me away they don't put those two together. But ladies and gentlemen, God put this word here in the Septuagint, April Pompey, for a reason, so you could see it, so you would know where it was going, because that's how it tied into celestial symbology. I mean, there's probably some things that I could say that would really rattle your cage, I would imagine, because, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of things… I take for granted. It's obvious to me. And it bothers me that along these topics, I can't talk with anybody else about it because they're so far wrong, it's ridiculous. And that's the truth. I mean, let us consider this. Surely you all know of Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. Because if you don't know what God's footstool is, you've got a little bit to learn as far as biblical eschatology is concerned. Because this is also quoted uh, in Matthew chapter 5. It's quoted in Matthew uh, chapter 23. Acts chapter 7, verse 49. Let's take it to the original one. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 34. Strange thing. 34 and 35 takes these verses and puts them up, but I assure you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 35. Or by the earth for it is the footstool of his feet. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know anything about Leviticus chapter 16, and especially about the scapegoat and where the sins are supposed to be laid, you don't realize what he's talking about because Isaiah chapter 24 and other chapters and other verses screams this. There's going to be a time when the earth sins weigh heavy upon it to the point it begins to stagger. Ladies and gentlemen, you should be able to put two and two together. If you were as familiar with the Bible, God's holy word, as I am, you would realize why he was saying that. You would realize why the Septuagint gives you the astronomical data required for this to come screeching across your plate eventually as you realize exactly what he's saying. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why. For instance, in Revelation chapter 8, that the angel takes the coals from the altar and cast them down to the earth. That's in Leviticus chapter 16. 
You should know that. More importantly, you should know how Leviticus chapter 16 starts out. Because it doesn't start out quite the way that it should. It starts out with something that is completely random. Something that will take you by surprise. Because if you knew that by heart, you would know that other things must certainly be true. Let's just talk about this. I'm going to read the first verse. Leviticus chapter 16. And I bet 99.99% of you never realized that the first verse really didn't go there. That is extracurricular information. Now the Lord spoke to Moses... After the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. You do realize when that happened, don't you? That was six chapters earlier, ladies and gentlemen. You should have forgotten that by now. If you're reading through Leviticus and you read Leviticus chapter 10, you have so much data. You have so many things to... I mean, the laws of motherhood comes after that. You've got the leprosy laws. You've got the cleansing laws. Fifteen, all detailing all the information about ailments to the body. And then all of a sudden, you get to 16, and he reminds you what happened six chapters earlier. And nobody gets it, and nobody talks about it. And the only thing I can surmise is this. Either they don't know, or they don't want you to know. I did begin this broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, with reading to you the verses that had the beast from the abyss in it. Let me read them to you. Well, let me read one of them to you again. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony. Now, ladies and gentlemen, who do you think he's talking about? But let me finish the verse. The beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Are you honestly going to tell me that you never put two and two together until now? I mean, if so, you need to start questioning everything that you think you know. I mean, you need to start questioning even terminology that you're using. Because if it's not in the Bible, God's holy word, which is either Hebrew or Greek, it doesn't exist, and it never did. Somebody made that up and taught that to you so that you wouldn't know what God wanted his children to know. There is no other answer to that equation. 
Brian, I've been rambling on here for a minute. Sorry about that. Uh, jump in here and uh, your thoughts and additional information along these lines, buddy. Well, that's just it. Uh, you know, there's an ordering in that uh, that interesting little uh, PDF you brought up yesterday that is quite quite knifeful, especially if you run. Um, I did multiple searches with uh, the Greek here for the word scapegoat, and when you pop it down to the first four letters, it starts shedding all kinds of light into the same pattern. Um, I guess one thing, you know, because people obviously are not familiar with this PDF, but they mention in here that the Greeks practiced this same uh, ritual, but they also bring up the fact that the Hittite the people in India and the Tibetans, which I have found to be all sorts of interesting that you have that specific group of people somehow, lo and behold, all practicing the same scapegoat ritual. And it's not coincidence, folks. There's a definite reason. I mean, some of the things I took note of in here was, for instance, the reason that they would take these people and send them out of the camp, because, yes, many times they would actually use people, as Matthew brought up before, pharmakia. And a lot of times, even up into the Middle Ages, it followed after a certain pattern. Plague, famine, pestilence. I think that's kind of important. It also makes mention of using, uh, let's see, trees that are not bringing forth fruit. Certain wild types of fruit, most notably figs being white or black. It's just a whole bunch of things going on here. And in regards to this, if this worked, then lo and behold, it had something to do with leading the way towards first fruits, therefore hoping the famine was broken in the midst of this. I mean, you've got all kinds of other interesting little details in this. Apollo is brought up. Which, on top of it, you know, it's something I pointed out to Matthew when we were talking last night. Everybody should have recognized immediately with the APO. One of the first things in your mind that should have came up was Apollyon. And, I mean, let's, you know, some of the notable ones I noticed in here a while, because I still haven't finished looking over all these, but... Believe it might have been. Hold on, let me get over the proper translation. Job eight twenty, for instance, the entire paragraph uh, or stanza leading before that basically lines up with everything I just brought up one after another. And folks, for those of you out there that you know, there's a couple of spots online you can do this, or if you have the proper Bible software, just run these first four uh, letters and whip through all this now something to touch on something i found interesting that matthew happened to mention was the infamous screech owl and folks do yourselves a favor and look into ufo 
waves and sightings, abductions, and type and screech owl with it. That's not coincidence that that's there. And I've witnessed events where this took place, and there were screech owls showing up all over the place. There was a movie that was done a while back on top of it that amplified it, the fourth kind, and it was not coincidence that they put that screech owl in there nonstop. This all ties into the same thing over and over and over again. And, I mean, that's all I got for here for the minute. I'm kind of drawing a blank in my mind for some reason now from here on out. <laughs> well, it bears testament. The items you just described, you're saying that this knowledge, God made sure that multiple places all across this planet knew what was to come. Even with the implementation of he who will rule and regulate how many that they kill once they're unleashed from the abyss. Apollyon. He is literally, you could say, the archangel over the abyss. They have to do what he says. Now, everybody else runs around and says that Apollyon is a demon. He's a bad guy. When that is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. And it blows me away that they actually get away with it. Blows me away. They absolutely get away with it. When the Bible is perfectly clear that <laughs> they. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's just take a precursory reading of what happens. Okay? We'll do it from the New American Standard Bible. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to earth. All right. Let me remind you what earth is. It's his footstool. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit. Great smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green tree, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to pause right here, because from this point, I'm not going to elaborate, I'm not going to elaborate on the details, but our sisters found why this was given, because it's there in the etymology of the scapegoat. Verse 6, and in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They belong to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts is like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads are appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. 
and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing into battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. You're told right there who it is that regulates them. You're told that it is Abaddon or Apollyon that does not permit them to kill anyone. And prophetically, ladies and gentlemen, the only reason why they're permitted to torment for five months is because you're supposed to know he's talking about the flood. Because the Bible says that the flood was 150 days, which cannot by any stretch of the imagination equal five months, yet the Bible says that it does. We have <laughs> advanced astronomical data, ladies and gentlemen. Five months cannot, no matter how you play with the calendar and You've got some days that months have 31 days and some this, and even if you throw February into the mix, which sometimes has 28 and sometimes 29, it will never equal 150 days. But ladies and gentlemen, here you're told that this angel is not the one. That's not what he said. Ladies and gentlemen... It, Apollyon never fell. That's not what it said. Don't you realize that they've tricked you into believing that? This is what it says. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not Abaddon. That is not Apollyon. That is the king or the archangel over the abyss. He is the one administrating the incarceration. And all of a sudden, somebody lets the cat out of the bag on him. There's a jailbreak, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you get it? The reason why you're not getting what I'm saying is because you've been deceived by these people that have got you tricked into believing that it was Apollyon that fell and unlocked the abyss and opened it up. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. But just in the etymology, ladies and gentlemen, you can begin to understand exactly why what is being said is being said here. And why, as I just mentioned, what it says in Revelation chapter 8. That's the chapter before this, ladies and gentlemen. You're, suppo you're supposed to realize at some point in time, as you read the Bible, you read the Bible, you read the Bible, it becomes a lamp unto your feet. You eventually will be able to see 
where the Lord your God is going, not only that, where he has obviously already been, because it happens to be the same place. Now, it amazes me that nobody realizes that, well, this is the opposite of the flood. Well, of course it is, ladies and gentlemen. When you read Revelation chapter 8, progress to 9, 10, 11, he tells you that the earth is not going to be destroyed by flood anymore, right? Why do you think the angel takes the censer and fills it with fire of the altar and throws it to the earth? What's the earth? His footstool. You're supposed to know that. But during the break, we're going to listen to Leviticus chapter 16, and you're going to hear it. You're going to hear what's going on in Revelation because, well, that is what's going on. And you begin to realize, well, now I see why the three hours of darkness, you know, these teachers teach nowadays about when Christ was sacrificed. Well, now you know why it happened. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ was the Yom Kippur sacrifice for the Lord your God. It amazes me how people, I will ask them, why does Revelation have to take place? Why does there have to be an end of days? Nobody has an answer for me now. The only people I can talk with on an intelligent level about this question are already in paradise. Don't you realize that because Hebrews chapter 9 comes screaming out and tells you that Christ particularly sufficed for the sacrifice for the Lord our God, from that point forward, we had no choice. We have to do the dance of the scapegoat sacrifice because there's two sacrifices on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And if it be true that you have done what the Bible, God's Holy Word says, and use it as a lamp unto your feet, there's no way you could proclaim to be an expert in the Bible and dare to say things like, Jesus was the scapegoat, and Apollyon is the Antichrist, or the false prophet, or Tom, or Dick, or Harry, or the Pope. I say you're lying. Now, about Apollyon, that's neither here nor there. But when you start saying that Christ was the sacrifice for the scapegoat instead of the Lord your God, if I was you, I would run from them as quickly as I could. Because they are going to take you to a place you don't want to go, and they're going to use a hook and set it in your jaw to get you there. It's called the entertainment industry.
And I'm going to tell you this. If you are convinced that Apollyon, he was in heaven, he had abandoned his post, you are illicitly told what's going on here. So you're saying that Apollyon or Abaddon abandoned his post in Tetaros, the abyss, goes to heaven, starts a rebellion, then he falls. And it's not until after he falls that he manages to get the key to the abyss and unlock it and let everybody out. If you really do want to believe that, you need to turn this broadcast off. Because you and I, we have no accord one with another. That's a lie. I don't... I can't help you. Let's, let's just use a common term that I heard. I've had like six or seven people this week tell me they've been an expert in Bible prophecy for 20 years. You're saying that you have grown up and are now able to wield God's word to light up your path. And you're saying stuff like that? No. No, that means something else. That means the Lord my God has kept his promise to people like you, and your minds have been overthrown by him. Just like Brian and I have covered many times, the Bible comes right out and says that he will choose your delusions, and he will hand you over because of your rebellion. That's where you're at. So your your locality is where God's put you, and there's nothing that I or the bride can do. We can't help you. So you need to just shut this broadcast off. If you're going to continue to be caught up in the entertainment industry, Brian and I can't help you. And that's why we're doing this. I'm not getting paid to do this, okay? BTR is, is not monetized. The YouTube channels aren't monetized. No, we do this for free because we do this for real. We do this for real. Brian, your closing thoughts before the break. We're about five till. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this week we're going to use the English Standard Version for the breaks. It'll be, well, the two chapters that nobody ever told you can't be separated. Leviticus chapter 16 and Hebrews chapter 9. But Brian, your uh, your thoughts and comments before the break, please. Well, I mean, it's just a, it's a quick question. I mean, I have to ask, how has everybody come to this concept that Christ is the scapegoat when it clearly states that the scapegoat is sent out into the wilderness to carry away the sins? That's completely and absolutely contradictory to the crucifixion by every stretch of the imagination. So how is it the people have gotten to this idea? I mean... Explain. Well, I think I just did. 
God warned them what he would do. And I'm I'm not trying to be mean, Brian. Brian, he really did tell them that if they continued, he would hand them over to delusions. You and I both know it. I mean, Brian, how long has it been passed around that Apollyon or Abaddon is the false prophet or 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 the Antichrist? I mean, how long has that been going around now? And how many of the listeners that are listening to this broadcast absolutely hinge on these? false teachers that sell books about this very topic? What, most of them? Well, and do I need to be brutally blunt? Because that was just it. The infamous mistake that was made by the person that started this whole fiasco. Well, his blasphemy ended with making the statement referring to Christ as being the scapegoat. And what do we watch happen after the fact, folks? Oh, the blasphemy's got far worse. Now, now, according to this person, the Bible's not true. So be very mindful of where you're sending your money, folks. I sent you a message the other day, and now I think I'll finish that thought, maybe. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? It would be better for you to send your money to the dogs. I think we all better set up and uh, listen to Leviticus chapter 16 and Hebrews chapter 9 in sequence for once. And I pray this time you listen, because I heard it a very, very long time ago, and it was music to my ears. I believed it, and I hung on its every word as if they were literally what was keeping me alive. We'll be back in 11 minutes, 47 seconds. You are listening to the End Time Tribune. Leviticus 16 The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died and the Lord said to Moses Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. With a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. 
he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, that is, over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins, and so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward 
he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger, who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you, to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest, who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Hebrews 9 Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the End Time Tribune. <clears throat> Before I start, let's get Brian's thoughts on Leviticus chapter 16, coupled with Hebrews chapter 9. Brian? Well, I'd have to say it's quite a match, like you said, in the ordering and everything. So, it's magical how it's all there. Except you'll take notice, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. How many verses are directly quoting Leviticus chapter 16 and Hebrews 9, yet is completely silent 
about the scapegoat. And you'll take note uh, that Hebrews chapter 9 tells you, <laughs> it literally comes out and tells you well, what you should be expecting Christ to appear like to you. And of course, Revelation gives that. He is looking as if the lamb has had it, as if it had been slain. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly the opposite that is referred to from the beast from the abyss. You're supposed to know that from Leviticus chapter 16, that physically has nothing... Oh my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, let's start putting two and two together. Let's just randomly do this. Um, off the top of my head. Uh, uh, Leviticus chapter uh, 16, verse 21. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard, regard to all their sins. And he lay them on the head of the goat and sent it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. Well, just, just, just first off. Ladies and gentlemen, why why would that be important? You don't remember? Here, I'll read it to you. Absolutely amazing. I just... You can't hear in Revelation what was being talked about in the verse I just read? Look. And he causes all, small and the great and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Don't, don't you realize what the scapegoat's doing? So you've never been told why? Ladies and gentlemen, why is usually the most important one out of the five W's. All journalists know this. Everybody who's been an English major the five W's. Who, what, where, when, why. This is why. Has, I do not understand how you say that your Bible teachers are experts, but none of you have ever walked up to them and said, well, why do they have to be marked? Why is it in their hand or on their forehead? Ladies and gentlemen, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 is why. The scapegoat turns around and makes you his scapegoat. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go right back to that same verse. Because right there, don't you realize who the two witnesses are in Leviticus chapter 16, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, it uses 95% of the verses about the high priest, right? Well, who's the other witness? Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. I just read it to you. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgression in regard to their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by who? Now listen, you have to listen and believe what God's saying. Because it's not until you believe what he says that you'll remember it. By the hand of a man 
who stands in readiness. That's why there's two witnesses, ladies and gentlemen. That's why there's two of them. The high priest doesn't do this. Really. I mean, uh, verse 26, we have the second witness is, is, is mentioned, you know, how he's supposed to deal with the situation after doing this. The one who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and then afterward he shall come into the camp. And it, it, <laughs> This is why there's two witnesses in Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. This is why the beast from the abyss makes war with them. This is the whole reason why. This is why. I mean, it, it, it amazes me that nobody catches... Surely, during the break, you heard it mentioned seven times, right? He shall, with his finger, sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times. Said the mercy seat. The reason why he used that mercy seat is to help you remember what his footstool was. That's why, ladies and gentlemen. That's why. Now, I hope that all of you took note about about the burning there at the altar. Don't you realize that's why the angel why well, I read that to you, he takes up the coals and casts upon the earth. It's it's right here. It's right here. So why haven't your your Bible expert teachers taught you this? I, I mean look verse twelve he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of fine ground, sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and a cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat. It's exactly the opposite of what the angel does in Revelation chapter 8. He doesn't put it on the mercy seat. Look, there's no reason to use both these phrases here. It says... That he may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. The reason why he included that, both the phraseology, the mercy seat, and then turned around and said the ark of the testimony, he just called it both its names in a row. The reason why he did that, because in Revelation chapter 8, like I said, I already read it to you. The angels do the opposite of this. They take those coals and cast them to the earth, God's footstool. Because now that the scapegoat has been, has ascended from the abyss, just like Revelation says, this is why earth's sins weigh heavy upon her, which is why we 
stumble in our orbital path. But ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I know this is a whole lot of information for you, especially throwing out the simple fact that, by the way, every time you see pharmacia in the Bible, just a variance in forms, uh, pharmacia is also the scapegoat ritual. And by the way, everybody knows it except you and your prophecy expert teachers. Everybody knows it except you. Because when you talk about this to a rabbi, they will scratch their heads, and I've had this happen since I was in an institution of higher learning. They've been doing this to me. I'll talk with them about it because they have questions. Well, I need to understand why the Zionists are paying these – oh, ladies and gentlemen, they know exactly what's going on. They're like, we don't support the government. They don't support us. Why are you giving them all this money to wage war? Well, I have to take them to law. Anyway, that's used as a tool by the Lord my God to get them to ask me questions about the New Testament, and particularly Revelation, exclusively Revelation. And they will scratch their heads and say, well, those idiots don't know why there's two witnesses. They don't realize that, well, that's the high priest. Other witness is the witness in readiness. Leviticus chapter – they're like, this doesn't make any sense. This whole thing is Leviticus chapter 16. And I'm like, well, you really can't talk about that to Christians. And they get so confused and so frustrated. It's, it's mind-blowing because they realize they read it. I see what this is. Basically, they say… Well, this is the exodus played out and all the symbologies directly tied to Yom Kippur. Only we only Yom Kippur is not one day. This book is, is well, this book is strange. This book of Revelation calls it by three different folds of time. It calls it one thousand two hundred and sixty days, it calls it times time and a half time, and it calls it 42 months. And they're just like, and these people can't figure out that God is trying to scream into their ears that, well, that's the Yom Kippur day. There's only one day. If you ask any Jew anywhere, any Orthodox Jew, what's the most important day of the year? They'll say, duh. I mean, they, they will look at you like you're stupid. Yom Kippur, duh. That's the only day there is. No other days really are even necessary. That's the only day. Well, that's why they call it the Day of Atonement. Because if we don't do the Day of Atonement, oh, it amazes me how it makes sense to them. But it doesn't make sense to you because all you've done for 20 years is not studied the Bible, God's Holy Word. No, 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 no. You've studied... All these people that run around and call themselves expert and don't have a flying ripping clue what neither the Hebrew or the Greek says. They have no remote clue what it says. None. 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 Nine. Nothing. They know nothing about it. And by the way, 
it, it, it amazes me that they'll ask me, well, why did they act this way? I mean, we've had business partners that, uh, you know, we tried to do business endeavors with that were uh, professing Christians, and oh my goodness, the worst kind of scruples, they will say. Once they signed the thing within a before one year was up, they'd stolen all the assets and declared bankruptcy on their partner's back that just happened to be a Jew, but they were too stupid to know it. And they're like, why do they ask that way? When Revelation is perfectly clear. You, you're supposed to make your garments ready. The bride's supposed to make her garments ready. Uh, by the way, you, you're supposed to know why they're making them ready because that's in Leviticus chapter 16. That's in the riddle of the scapegoat, and they don't – no, you can't lie, cheat, steal. It confuses them, as it should. It sure, sure don't confuse anybody, though, that professes to be a Bible teacher and makes six-figure digits a year. Oh, it don't confuse them at all. I mean, that is pathetic that I have to spend all my time – you know, if Brian would have known that I'd been in contact with people because of the celestial scapegoat issue, and he knows that if other people would ever found out that I was corresponding back and forth with these people – no, not on an esoteric level, but what they had discovered about the orbital of the celestial scapegoat, Brian probably would have just shot me and put me out of his misery. I mean, why do I have to spend time with people like that? Why do I have to spend time with Kabbalists? Why? Why can I not speak intelligently with people who not only are supposed to be elders, they're teachers? Brian, uh, your thoughts and comments, please, and let's go on to uh, another information spiel, if that's possible. You can certainly talk more about uh, the PDF I sent you from the German University and uh, whatever else you'd like to talk about. But obviously we're going to eventually have to talk about the simple fact that uh, – well, just the verses in question where God proclaims the earth to be his footstool, its sins being heavy upon it. The Septuagint uh, talking about the April Pompeii and uh, Parallax. Uh, we're supposed to know this is, as is commonly known, that, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is how we roll. As above, so below. You don't have to like it. That's the way it is. Anyway, Brian, uh, jump in here. Uh, wow. Wow. We've been burning up time, haven't we? Uh, yeah, you can take up uh, the next half hour if you want to. I've really been rambling on. I, I didn't mean to do that, Brian, but uh, you've got the floor for a while, bud. No, nah, there's just little bits and pieces to point out. Um, you know, Like I brought up before, the plague has been associated with, and in the Middle Ages, they once again started the scapegoating... Uh, Ritual off with sending out people once again to get rid of the plague. Now, how does this tie in? Comets, folks. 
vile stars, according to the Chinese, as they would put it, the green comets that would come in, which were carriers of plague. Now, folks, do yourself a favor and go out and start looking at a vast majority of the comets that have been getting shot into our orbit uh, over the course of the last few years. You're going to notice something real quick. I'm having a hard time finding any that aren't green besides the low um, orbiting ones that are obviously on a very... Uh, there's a couple of them we've talked about in the past that are even on a 3.5-year um, orbital trajectory. But, you know, in light of that, you have to find it kind of interesting when we're talking about this orbital body has the capability of bringing these uh, comets of destruction and even meteorites and so forth into the orbit of the Earth again, and lo and behold, the Middle Ages. And you can even go in and look, folks, at the with the plague that hit in the Middle Ages. You'll find out that they have time and time again on those uh, paintings they did during that time. They had a great big comet showing up. So I don't think that's really coincidence. You know, and I'm looking here over. Because actually we did quite an extensive program on Isaiah 47, which is, well, he brought up, Matthew brought up Pharmakia before. And it's rather interesting when you look through this chapter in light of thinking of these uh, things, especially when you get down here further when it's talking about, well, those who prophesy by the stars, the astrologers, etc., etc. I mean, in light of this, we need to stop and consider how it is that the seasons are set in all of that. Because, yes, the universe is one great big timekeeping mechanism. And it stays fairly on track at least for the time. But when we've got this new intruder that's been found, well, that may change things a little bit. I mean, that's kind of what I had rolling through my head here real quick as you were bringing that up. It bears testimony, ladies and gentlemen, that this is the way it really worked. When you do your research, you'll find out that the scapegoat ritual always come in hopes that not only the pestilence would be lifted. The main reason why they wanted it to be lifted so they could get a good harvest, ladies and gentlemen. They've always been tied together, and this is common knowledge across this whole planet. Well, except Christians. They don't know it. But Brian already gave you a short list of uh, ancient cultures that um, did the scapegoat ritual, and uh, we know this at least. All of them will know exactly what's going on, regardless of whether they have a K, J, V, or not. No, really. And when we start talking about 
ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's talk about parallax. Parallax is nothing more than the observational point of a celestial object. Me and Brian have discussed this before. We shall discuss it again. The Septuagint uses parallax for the continual sacrifice. That continual sacrifice is only stated one time in all of the Septuagint. It was the twilight time sacrifice performed every single day. Why did they do that? That's when they marked off the evening and morning stars. The Septuagint is literally coming out and telling you it's the first time it gives you hint of what's really going to happen. Because I know everybody's rejected it. But you really are going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming in great glory. Because NASA's already proved that it has happened before. And not only that, the other wondrous sign that everybody has polluted and corrupted and said that, hey, uh... The Great Revelation 12 sign is actually, no, let's invert that. Let's give it a form of blasphemy. Let's give the Bride of Christ an Egyptian Urea crown. Let's do that. Well, the other wondrous sign is, guess what? You're going to see all seven stars. Guess what? NASA's done prove that too. Done proved it. Got the mathematical research. I mean, everything's laid down. There's only one single problem. That yes, you're going to see Uranus and Neptune with your naked eyes. And that's the other wondrous sign in Revelation. They also proved this. They've also proven there was a fifth gas giant involved, Jupiter's grand tack. And this is what the Bible says about history. This is what God says himself. History repeats. That's what he says. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm absolutely not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. If you're a preterist, you're wrong. If you're a futurist, you're wrong. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not, my purpose will be accomplished, and I will accomplish my good pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under, under the sun. Now, why would God say that? Do you not know he's talking about uh, where the equator of the sun is at? Anyway, that's beside the point. Next verse. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. Do you all not know that that's why Christ come out and told you we must go back to the days of Noah? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will man do will come after the king except what has already been done, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15. That which has been already and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 10. Whatever existed has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger 
than he is. Ladies and gentlemen, you can go to the NASA website and find all about Jupiter's Grand Tech, the Nice model, the fifth gas giant, um, we'll find out why that uh, the sun's equator is <laughs> off the ecliptic seven or eight degrees. Okay, this stuff is real. It's real. And whatever is looming in the deep that's going to uh, confound parallax with the evening and morning sacrifice that's done at twilight time, I'm going to tell you why. This gas giant must be an object that they've already discovered called Trez-2b. The only reason why we know about this planet is because it did a transit across its parent body because its libido's pitch black. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we know that two goats were equal and lots were cast over them. Therefore, you better figure this out real quick. The celestial scapegoat is real. It really is going to make the sign of the Son of Man come inbound to save you. Just this week, we've had released there's massive storms at the pole on the sign of the Son of Man, Jupiter, the King Star. What I'm telling you is real. This was in the news this week. Because I just read from you multiple verses, multiple chapters, multiple books, God screaming at you that eschatology is isochronal. And that's why God sent his son to tell you this. Uh, you're going back to the days of Noah. That means something real. It's, it's real. It's really going to happen. And you can just imagine what's going to happen to these academic idiots. When, uh, hey man, Jupiter's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, it's going to get great big. Yeah, comes inbound as we complete, eschatologically speaking, Leviticus chapter 16. I mean, there's no reason for you to question even what the name of this, this fifth gas giant is. God already named it in the Bible. It's already named. I mean, he's given you all the details you could ever possibly want. You just reject that, and you side with the entertainment industry. You buy their books. You listen to their broadcast. You support their ministries. Well, it's not a ministry. It's entertainment. Just so you know, God's going to ask you about it. He really is. He is going to ask you about it. Parallax, the Apple Pompey, all that's been in the Bible since you picked it up. I don't care if you picked it up as a toddler. Picked it up and you were first beginning to walk and, you know, chomp on it. Use it as a uh, teething ring. Oh, it was there. And you're going to be expected to know it. 
I'm not lying to you. This is the way it's going to be. And you all need to get prepared. I mean, you should at least be working on your dress. But, I don't know, maybe that's a little much to hope for at this point in time. Because we're way late in the game. Whether you understand it or not, that's irrelevant. You'll understand it on the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne, though, because both Isaiah chapter 24 and Revelation chapter 6 says that when he impacts Mount Paran, it's going to have a physical effect, and you're going to miraculously know everything you've rejected for all these years. You'll know it on that day. The Tibetan monks will know it. The Georgian Orthodox will know it. Now, I know this is hard for you to believe, but even the Catholics will know it. Himself will most certainly be whistling Dixie on that day. Brian, your thoughts? Well, there was just one other little odd correlation I've been looking through here. Um, you know, folks, I made mention of the groups that are known to have practiced the scapegoat ritual, but there should be something that stands out in everybody's mind because, for one, let's see, the Greek, the Hittite, and India were all mentioned. Well, folks, all of them speak the same language base from the Indo-European, but there's one little peculiar anomaly in the midst of this, and that's Tibet, and they've got a different language base. Now, it's understandable how a certain ritual could get passed along by groups all speaking the same language, but what's it doing over in Tibet? And I mean, I've pointed out a few little odds and ends about the Tibetan culture over and over again throughout time, but folks, you might want to consider something. I brought up the correlation between a specific seal that's tied into Shiva from the Indus Valley Civilization. You might want to take that even a step further and look into Shiva and Tibet and get back to me and tell me what you see because it's important. It's connected, and a false prophet ain't the Pope, and it ain't <laughs> the infamous one, Nimrod, being stuck in the pit in some sort of mummification, never was. But how in the world could this have something to do with that scapegoat ritual somehow showing up in this region? It's important. I'll let Matthew try to expand on that one a little bit, maybe. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've already explained to you about the vulture shamans and how they could have possibly been communicating uh, without cell phones thousands of years ago when they obviously were. 
Brian's already pointed out that what particular entities the Bible hints is the psychopomps. It's the children of the scapegoat. The whole reason why we have to do this dance. The whole reason why he has to be let out of the abyss. Or as the Greek comes right out and says, Tataros. Tataros. Tartarus. However you want to enunciate it or pronounce it. <clears throat> These are tied part and parcel, ladies and gentlemen. It amazes to me that the Tibetans, the Hittites, everybody knew where this information came from. These particular set of entities, they're real, and that's how the Assyrian is going to be able to uh, go around, I don't know, the CIA drones. You've heard Brian talk about uh, the dark web and how you can communicate on it. And I'll be tra Ladies and gentlemen, give me a break. If you send out a signal, they record it. They just have to decipher it. But the Assyrian false prophet, oh, he'll he he'll be he will be able to be the only one on this planet actually that can perform acts of prize upon his enemies. I mean, there'll be two thousand satellites over his head, recording every transmission. Like he, they're not transmission. Uh, transmitting anything, yet they're attacking simultaneously across multiple time zones. That's not possible without communications. Oh, he's going to rain on your party? Oh, yes, he can. And he really does worship the Moazim. Add a rosh to it. Add a head to it. That's what Rosh means in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew letter. You throw that in the middle, and you've got the celestial scapegoat's name. It's Meraz. It's that simple. And all this information was already contained in the Bible, God's holy word. For thousands of years, you just kind of rejected it. I mean, even though everybody knows about what happened when the KJV was, you know, commissioned. Everybody knows what happened that very year is when we got the supernova in the sign of the restrainer. An overt warning from the Lord your God. Boy, you're going to get caught up in a quagmire. I don't give a flying rip about translations. That's not what I said. I didn't say it in Russian. I didn't say it in Spanish. I didn't say it in English. I did speak, and it did come out of both sides of my mouth, and that's Hebrew and Greek. I'm not lying to you. Look it up. What year did that, super, uh, that supernova take place? Yeah, same year KJV was commissioned. I'm not lying to you. So if you don't know your celestial somology, you better get up to speed on it real quick because it ain't got nothing to do with any crown that was ever on any Egyptian queen's head. Not ever. Not ever. 
Now, God did use the king's star to provide for you a shadow and a silhouette of what to look for. It's called uh, Comet Chevy Lubemaker 9. It broke into exactly 21 pieces and slammed into the king star, Jupiter. That really happened. That's exactly what's going to happen in between the constellation of Virgo and Leo. A comet will break apart and create a string of pearls, as Comet Chevy Lumaker 9 was referred to as. And it's going to create a Urea crown, not. No, that's not what the Bible, what does the Bible say? The Bible says it's going to create a wreath crown, not a Urea crown. And when you look at the live video feed from NASA satellites, that's exactly what Comet Chevy Lumaker looks like in the sky. It looked like an arc as it come inward bound to the South Pole and struck Jupiter. It looks like a wreath crown in the heavens. I'm really not lying to you. You really can look it up and watch it. It looks like a Stefano's crown, a wreath crown. Right now, it's a going trend in Ukraine. I wonder why. Well, I was just going to bring up kind of a random thought I've been having here because, well, we talked about in the past when warships were scrambled to Cyprus in the Bible that's known as Kittim, the first time around the ride, we saw ice... ISIS flared up shortly thereafter, after the first chemical attack in Syria, I believe it was back in 2013. Now, we know for a fact on top of it, warships were scrambled again. But folks, have you stopped to consider for one moment what's happening in Myanmar at the moment? Because a full-scale war has broken out between the Buddhist community there, which are the Tibetan Buddhists, and the Muslims. And in light of the fact that I've been pointing this out time and time again, all right, folks, the Magi themselves had a split. Some of those that decided they didn't want to go in the proper way, ended up going into Tibet. I don't think this is coincidence now that we haven't seen any kind of flare-ups anywhere else in the world, but lo and behold, this very specific and important trade route for the uh, one belt, one road, all of a sudden is getting torn up completely. And this is not the first time that these outbursts have happened but it's really come forefront and center in the news over the course of the last week here so I don't know what are your thoughts on that one Matthew I'm speechless man this is going to explode in a blaze of glory I don't know how it can't I mean, when you perform the scientific process that goes by a checklist, temperature, pressure, environment, 
You go through all the standard checklists, no matter what you're doing. The scientific method is very clear and cut. And once you get so far down that list, you can start filling in the blanks yourself. Because if A, B, C, D, E, F, G is true, guess what? Hell's about to be unleashed. That's that's the scientific method. Bry. That's why when... Ladies and gentlemen, we know this has everything to do with the slaughter of the innocents. We know that the New Testament gives us information about... Uh, Pharaoh's, uh, ma- you know, two magicians, by the way, that was performing the miracles. And yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. You're supposed to know who told him to do that. Here, let's go. Uh, to the other verse, Matthew uh, chapter 2, the 16th verse. And then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem in its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. Ladies and gentlemen, you're supposed to know, you're supposed to realize what God's doing here. He is prophetically telling you how he was pulling Pharaoh's strings. Ladies and gentlemen, he was using, you know, James and Jambers, you know, those two, all these conspiracy Bible teachers love to talk about them. You're supposed to know that that was the, well, the hook in Pharaoh's jaw to carry out the exodus. You're supposed to know that. You're supposed to be able to put these two verses together and say, oh my goodness, that's what Brian's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. They are already at play. And that's a bad thing, ladies and gentlemen. That's a bad thing. By the way, just so you all know, I know know this is probably a eureka moment for you. But the slaughter of the Egyptian newborn, well, that's why Obadiah was written. That's why Revelation chapter 14 was written. That's why, uh, oh, I don't know, Isaiah chapter 26 was written. That's why if you don't know the timeline of the ten plagues of Egypt, you have no clue what... A timeline for regulation would be, or they call it a tribulation timeline. You don't, you don't have a clue what it's talking about. And the two witnesses. I mean, you're supposed to realize that prophetically speaking, they're right there in Leviticus chapter 16. They are also Joshua and Caleb. Just, just so you all know, that's why Joshua represents, of course, Aaron. Caleb represents the witness that had been made ready and he took care of the scapegoat sacrifice. You're you're supposed to be able to prophetically put two and two together for Pete's sakes. And and, and I know this is a shock to some of your system because I know where you got it from. I know where you got it from. I read 
from the book of Revelation. And those locusts were not talking about helicopters, ladies and gentlemen. They really weren't. And that's actually laughable. That's hilarious. I mean, the Orthodox rabbis are literally laughing at you. They they really... Because some of them ask, well, where do they get this stuff? Because they'll go research it themselves and come back and say, what are they talking about? They're talking about... <laughs> they're talking about helicopters coming up from underground bunkers. And... The Orthodox people just start laughing. They, they, ladies and gentlemen, they think it's comical. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. They say there's no way if if these Christians are reading their Bible, there's no way they believe that bunch of nonsense. Bobbly book, they say. They believe that bobbly book. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real, they do. Lock, stock, and barrel, buddy. And barrel. And it's just amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, these bad magi are already in play. They're already in play. Well, Brian, we are into overdrive. I guess we need to shut it down. Is there anything else you need to add before we go? Well, I think it's important to point out three correlations here because, um, you know, yesterday you sent me that uh, the links with um, people that were working on this Vulcan uh, timing and so on. And I noticed several issues with their dating system. And they're kind of important because... They actually, when you have the proper timing, it starts to make sense. Now, we've spoken about in the past about the proper dating for the birth of Christ is 12 BC. I have got, if I were to print out the amount of work I've done here on verifying that, folks, you would have probably a book worth at least 500 pages, if not more, of the amount of time I've spent correlating this. And 12 BC... You had the appearance of a comet, and then you had another one in 10 BC, the appearance of a ghost comet. And you can look up the ghost comet, and on top of it, get your hands on what the uh, oracles had to say in China concerning what this comet meant. And you can line this up word for word with the uh, slaughter of the innocents. But this goes into something else because the other spot that they locked this into oh boy well get ready for it folks this is going to come a shock to your system but the other one they tied this into is Buddha and you'll take note that his standard name will is usually spelled as Gautama Buddha and then they say Shakyamuni but you go to look for Shakyamuni and you get run in circles well, I've done extensive work with this. There's a scholar out there that put together some major work on it as well, and he will point out emphatically from the word go that Shakyamuni, the word should actually be Saka because he was part of the Saka branch of the Scythian or Scythian with pointy hats. 
And as I've pointed out time and time and time again, those were your magi, not the uh, Zoroastrian priests like they've led people to believe it. It's just, it's not who it is. So how does this suddenly become important when you're getting these two correlations together? You've got Gautama being in Saka, Scythian. Well, their other timeline they dated that with, like I said before, was Buddha. Well, guess what, folks? 522 BC, you also had the Megaphonia, which is known as the Slaughter of the Magi. Now, isn't it a little strange that for some reason you have another correlation with the Slaughter of the Magi, the Slaughter of the Innocents? Because did Darius the Great maybe go out of his way to slaughter them? Because he knew what their role was the next time around? Is maybe everybody starting to understand why I'm calling the uh, the ones associated with the Tibetan Zhang Zun shamanism? Because their Buddhism is not from the root of Buddhism. It is actually quite, quite different. It holds to their old... Shamanic, uh, shamanic practices. And how do I explain this? For instance, at the time of the Mongols, they had their Buryat shamans, which were quite a force to be reckoned with. And yet later in time, the Tibetan shamans came into the equation and they completely removed the Buryats to the point where, well, guess what? They started slaughtering them as well. They went into hiding and actually didn't even start surfacing. Some of them went into hiding at the time of the Soviet Union, but a whole bunch of them also went into hiding much earlier, and they didn't start surfacing until after the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, and with these two things in mind, it just makes me wonder... Because we can actually look at their chart and get a more proper dating in the midst of this. Your thoughts on some of those little odds and ends? It should be expected. It should be expected, just like they used helicopters. They might as well use the the Zoroaster's uh, priest. I mean, they don't realize they've been entertained away from the truth. And I'm sorry about that, but... Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't realize that the dates he's mentioning corresponds with, uh, you know, the destruction of the temples, the slaughter uh, of the Magi. Um, These things are real. They really happened. And I already read to you the verses where God screamed it into your ear. They're going to happen again. They really are. I mean, that's why I've I've tried to tell everybody to get them a copy of the timeline of what happened uh, from the spring of 19, 
or <laughs> 19. The spring of 66 to the fall of 70 A.D. I mean, that's why Joseph was there, or that's why Josephus was there, was to bear witness, but you should all know exactly what's coming down the barrel. That's why they found the coins uh, from Masada. I mean, they found them up there, and they were stamped with 73 A.D. With those dates, you can backtrack and find out exactly what happened. But anyway, that's beside the point. You need to figure out that all these things have been done. I mean, you know, I I remember how many thousands of – I mean, literally I got – I mean, my inbox was full because it – because when I sign into my mail, I can only see 200 per page. And for weeks it went on when me and Brian told everybody, by the way, you do realize that Pontificus Maximus, uh, you, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, The reason why Herod slaughtered the innocents because, well, that's how old his baby was. By the way, that baby is in the rest of the New Testament. These things are real. Herod was trying to force his own son to be the Messiah. That's why he killed all the other males two years and under, just so you know. Just so you know. It's it's real. You can look it up. You can look it up where Pontificus Maximus had its event horizon. Well, sorry to rain on your party. That's, uh, you know, it happened when it happened, and everybody knows when Augustus did it. There's no question as to when it happened. And it coincides exactly with what's been chronicled. So... That's the fact of the matter. Brian, we're down to the last four minutes. Do you want to uh, give your finals and your website? Well, my finals. Just thinking over some things here. Considering looking over the Asian continent, you know, I think we've been looking in some spots for some things to happen. And when you consider stuff that's happening right now in the headlines of the news... Really got me wondering about looking at some of these other directions a little more closely. But uh, you can find me on Overt Attention Show on Twitter. OvertAttentionShow.com is the website. And you can email me at thebandsoftime at gmail.com. All right, thanks for joining us. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you might want to take a look at uh, Pontificus Maximus. Augustus, uh, when Herod Agrippa was born, uh, Halley's Comet, the Ghost Comet, all these things are, well, they're important, and they're certainly not entertainment, not by any stretch of the imagination. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Matthew Miller, and I stand on the Bible, God's Holy Word. And it really is a light into my path and a light into my feet. You can email me at 
endtimetribune at mail.com. I repeat, that is not Gmail. It's mail.com. Twitter, Facebook, so we're on the major social networking sites. Um, And like I said, uh, you don't have to join the group. It's it's open, so if you want to come by there and learn, uh, well, there's many Catholics over there uh, that just watch because they know they can't interact. They'll be attacked. Now you're safe. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're... uh, you know, charismatic, evangelical, Protestant, uh, try to get into uh, God's Word, and uh, believe it or not, it'll change you. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I suggest that you get those garments clean. Because as soon as we instigate the tribulation timeline, which is the scapegoat ritual, Just like the high priest, you're going to need to have your garments in order. But you should know that anyway. I should just be reminding you. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.